We all crave connection. At our core, we all want to feel loved and understood. Hi, I'm Nechami, founder of Carmela Cosmetics, a company that produces high-performance natural beauty products and is dedicated to uniting and empowering women through the power of color. This is We Are Women, a podcast where women speak their truth and celebrate their victories. This podcast came about as a way to give a voice to all women because we all have stories to share. It's a place where we'll learn about each other and ourselves, dive into important issues that affect us, discover all that we have in common, and make some memories. So pour yourself a glass of bread and get comfortable. Every night is ladies' night, and we are women. Buzi is a real breath of fresh air. So during this interview, she shares her story of how she came to adopt three beautiful children and the journey and process that led up to it. When Denise was diagnosed with endometriosis in her early 20s, she wasn't expecting an easy ride when it came to getting pregnant. But when she found her husband at age 41 and after giving infertility drugs a shot, she and her husband decided to go the route of adoption, including adopting a child with special needs. So with her enthusiasm and love of life and no-nonsense way of expressing herself, Denise shares her story and the challenges it took to get her family to where they are today. So I can't wait for you to hear her story, her obvious love of life, her children, and all humans. Listen in and be inspired. I was actually a really serious child. And I think part of the reason for that was, is that my mom passed away of cancer when I was five years old and I was the eldest of three kids. So my was, I was five when my mom died. My brother was three and my sister was 18 months old. And we were raised by my dad and my grandmother. And then, um, unfortunately, my dad passed away right before my 13th birthday. He had pancreatic cancer. So we had lost very early on. Um, and we did have family members that basically raised us. So, you know, being the eldest and also being in that situation, it kind of made me more of an um, introspective child. Um, I was very creative, but you know, more shy, more introspective and more, you know, having to take the lead in a lot of family matters. Wow. That cannot have been easy. Okay. So where did you end up? Who, who took care of you then? Okay. So it was my grandmother who took care of me and my father. And then my dad was, uh, became a culinary professor at the Culinary Institute up in uh, Poughkeepsie, New York. So he was actually a French chef who became a French professor. So he moved up there first. And then afterwards, a friend of the family decided that they were going to help us out. Um, It was a single aunt and she decided to move up to help my father out with the three of us. And so we moved up there and I would literally say maybe four months later, he was diagnosed with cancer. So he, you know, passed away three months right after that. Um, we made it kind of through the school year and then afterwards moved back down. We, we were originally from Mount Vernon, New York. So we were from the lower Westchester County area. And then we moved back in with my grandmother. So now it was my stepmother who was kind of like an aunt. She'd always been like an aunt to us in the family and my grandmother who raised us. So, and then I went on to high school. Um, you know, so again, I was the eldest out of three trying to keep the three of them to, you know, the other two together. Um, you know, went on to college for a short period of time. My sister got into a little bit of trouble. I had to go home and try to help them out. And then ultimately I didn't go back to school. I just went and 
moved on from there, moved into an apartment, became a secretary, and then moved my way up from there. Wow. And then I married my husband right before the age. Actually, I was 40. I was about to turn 41. I met my husband on matchmaker.com. Okay. <laughs> I love that. Back in the day. Okay. So that was like 1991 when I, 1999 when I met him. And then we got married in 2001 and he was working for NBC in New York. He was working in the news division at NBC. Um, and then we got married and soon after that, you know, uh, 9-11 happened and we ended up leaving NBC and he went out to power systems in, um, in Atlanta, Georgia, which was part of GE. Okay. And there is where we adopted our first two children from Kazakhstan. And then, um, we moved back here. Um, and that's when I still was, you know, doing my book representation business. But then I started Prosnickety Promotions, which was my promotional products business, which I still run today. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm a little bit of a type A, you may want to say that. So I run a promotional products business. And then on top of that, um, Prosnickety Promotions led me to the Prosnickety Bride, which as you can see, kind of in back of me, I've got my bridal gowns, we had a client ask us to do in 2007, do their daughter's wedding invitations because I was doing all these, you know, branded items. And I said, sure, no problem. I could do, you know, bridal invitations. Why not? And so I started doing that. I was raising my kids in the house. Okay. So I was, you know, had the book representation business, doing premium and incentive with, you know, nonprofits and schools and businesses. And then I was doing custom wedding invitations. So people were coming to my house. And then someone said to me, well, gee, I had such a terrible experience with the bridal gown company. You know, they, they didn't even talk to us. I bought a $6,000 gown and they didn't even speak to the mom. And I went upstairs to my husband. I said, when these kids get old enough, I am going to go and open up a bridal boutique and I'll be damned. I went and so I still consult in books, not as much as I used to. I mean, with the pandemic, it's a little bit different now. Um, I still have the promotional products business. We do a lot with nonprofits. We, we live, I live in the town where uh, the Sandy Hook shooting was, and I'm also uh, a Sandy Hook survivor mom. So I have one of my daughters that was in the school during the time of the shooting. So we work with a lot of the nonprofits from that or organization, you know, from various organizations that came out of that. Um, you know, so anyway, so yeah, you, yeah, you, wow. Okay. So you're involved in a lot and you've been doing Honey, a lot. I got a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> I see that. I see that. Um, very cool. So let's backtrack a little bit okay. to, when you, well, actually let's go to before you even adopted your kids, because you mentioned that you have endometriosis. So let's start from there. How did you find that out? What happened? Let's hear about your journey. You know, I had endometriosis for a very long time and it was, oh my God, I must've been in my early twenties when they realized that I had endo and I was basically put on the pill like nonstop. Like my OBGYN, it was a female OBGYN and she had me on the pill nonstop. So I really didn't get much of a period. I was always very, you know, like my, my periods were always off um, to begin with, but then they were trying to figure out, okay, how can we keep the pain at bay? And, you know, they did for a very long period of time. 
but unfortunately, finally in my 30s, it was when I, I, after I had opened up the business, the pain got so severe that they couldn't control it anymore. I mean, there was absolutely nothing they could do. I remember going into the OB and she says, Denise, you know, we've tried for how many years trying to keep this at bay. And we just, I mean, literally I was, I was up against the wall sobbing in my office. That's how bad the pain was. So they had to put me on Lupron, which anybody who's familiar with having extreme endometriosis pain knows that they, that basically puts you into a, um, a state of, uh, what do they call menopause? So no sooner you get that shot in your tushy, you're like, <laughs> within a half an hour to 40 minutes, you're like fanning yourself and you're having this oh my terrible, gosh. oh, it was awful. And you can only take the shot, I think like upwards to six months, like with endo, with that kind of a drug, like because of cancer concerns and everything, they don't want you to take it for more than it would last for six months. And so they put me together with a doctor that was a fertility doctor and very good at going in and doing laparoscopic surgery to go and, you know, remove as much endo as possible. So I'll never forget it because it was the week before my surgery and I had called the doctor who, um, who was supposed to do the surgery, who was a you know fertility doctor. And I'm in the car crying <laughs> on, the, on the parkway going, the pain is coming back. And he's like, we are operating in like three days. We cannot, in other words, like it sounded like a drug addict. Like I need my drug. And he's like, we can't give it to you. I'm like, oh my God, because then the endometrial tissue was again, I guess, opening up again from having been, you know, was suppressed with this drug. So they went in and they put adhesion barriers inside, I think like three or four of them. And he was very thrilled with his work. And I'll be very honest with you. I was very thrilled because it never, I never had that pain again. And I now wow. I've had natural menopause, but the pain was absolutely excruciating. I can't even begin to, I mean, and, Anybody who has endo, and, and I mean, I remember when I even had the endo and I had to go for um, liability, not liability insurance, but the insurance like disability insurance, they put a rider in my disability insurance that I could not collect if I was home because of endometriosis. That's how severe my endo was. And they wouldn't, and the, the liability insurance company would not cover me for that. So, um, yeah, it was pretty miserable. Let's put it that way. I mean, when I hear these young girls having endo, it, it's, it's tragic. And it's tragic what it does to some people in terms of not being able to work, that they're so disabled with this that they physically cannot work because of the pain. It's terrible. It was terrible. Did you suspect that you had endo before you were diagnosed? I was, di I was you know, it was kind of one of those things that, my OB figured it was endo. It was, you know, I was young. I was in my twenties and it was like certain things like, you know, sexual intercourse hurt. There were, you know, certain elements that she kind of figured, well, hello, this is endometriosis because this isn't normal. It just wasn't normal. Um, right. And that's how usually a doctor goes in and figures it out unless they're going to go and do a laparoscopic, which I don't remember her doing. Although I do remember that I also had a cyst that burst in my early 20s. Mm. Oh, yeah, that was miserable. Oh, my God, that was terrible. And they left. And, and the worst part was 
The hospital wouldn't touch me. I'll never forget that as long as I live. They brought me into the hospital. They laid me down on the table. They went to do an internal and all I did was scream. And then the hospital sent me to my, to my male OB. This was terrible. That's why I switched to a female OB. Sent me to the male OB. The male OB told me that I had to go into the hospital that night and that he thought it was a tubal pregnancy. Okay, so now he's got this 20 year old terrified that it's a tubal pregnancy. Turns out it was a cyst that burst internally and it was not a tubal pregnancy. But I mean, he had me terrified. I had to, I mean, I was living on my own at the time. I had to have my girlfriend go watch my cat. And I mean, it was just, it was, but it, that that's what made me realize like, okay, I'm never using a male, a male OBGYN again. Oh yeah, I was like really in my early twenties, like maybe wow. 21. Oh, it was horrible. <laughs> oh yeah. That's what, that's what swore me against male OBGYNs. Well, that's that it. one certainly had a lack of sensitivity over there. So, <laughs> Oh, he was like, no, there was no sensitivity. There was no sensitivity chip in that man whatsoever. It was oh. horrific. Oh, yeah. So yeah. because of having endo, did you expect to have fertility issues when, you know, when the time would come? Oh, that was, that was obvious. Plus the fact I didn't get married until I was 40. So for me, it was kind of like I had to break it to my future husband. I'll never forget because we met and, you know, about three months into it, I realized like, you know, you're 40 and he's 38 and you've never been married, but you kind of like, know like this is the one, you know? So, well, yeah, you've kissed enough frogs. You're like, yeah, okay. I know. I know it's this one. So, but I had to be honest with him because he's, you know, God, God bless my husband. He's only, I mean, he's only three years younger than me, but he's like, you know, he's one of those little fresh puppy dog kind of guys back then. It was like, oh, I'm going to get married. And I love this girl. And, you know, and I'm like, dude, we may not be able to have children together. You know, this is the fact. This is my background. And, you know, I want you to think about this because, because I, again, like I said, I'm real realistic. I've, you know, been, I had to grow up young. So I'm like, no, nah, you know, I'm the real one in the group. So I'm like, okay, here's the gig you know, had endometriosis surgery, had a birth cyst, periods never came on time. This may not be too easy. And I said, I want you to take that, absorb it, and now go think about it. Because I know that we really do care deeply about each other. And I know that we want to continue this, but you need to be prepared that if we can't have children that you're willing to adopt, because I do want to be a parent. And he was great about it. He says, okay, I'm going to go off on my merry way and I'm going to think about it and whatever. And he came back, you know, a couple of days later and said, look, we're going to try. And I said, absolutely, we're going to try. And he, but he said, we're not going to over try. We'll, we'll try the best that we can. And if we can't, we will go and adopt. I said, good, excellent. And that's exactly what we did. You know, we went, um, we got married. We were together about 15 months and then we got married. We got engaged after 10 months and then the wedding. Um, and then of course, during that time, we tried to do an IVF in the process while we were moving to Atlanta, Georgia. It was, oh, that was a whole other thing. He had to run back to give sperm to go. And in, you know, <laughs> I'm telling you, it was like, it was, we were on the road going to look at houses and he was shooting me with drugs in my tushy because we had to go, yeah, because they have to go and they have to induce whatever they had to induce to get the eggs out or whatever. I don't even remember, but I remember stopping at a hotel so he could shoot me at a specific time in my rear end. I'm telling you, I have, I could, 
if I could do a story about this, it would be a comedy. Because we're like, quick, quick, we gotta find a hotel. Let's go. And it's I, I'm telling you, it was because we were trying to move him down because GE was moving him down there. And then I had to leave him down there. And then we had to come back. And then I guess when they thought they were gonna do the sperm to the bags or whatever. It was like, oh my God, she's hyper-stimulating. We have to do it now. I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. So, you know, there was a moment of disappointment because it came out that obviously we didn't get pregnant. And I looked at him and I'm like, you know, I don't know if I want to go through all of this drug stuff again. You know, we're 40 years old. I had endometriosis. They put me on Lupron. I've got a history of cancer in the family. Do we really need to do this again? And he looked at me and goes, no, we don't. You did one round. We did one round. We okay. tried. Yeah, we. It, it's very interesting. I'll, well, I'll tell you the rest of the story later. But, you know, it's very interesting. But we did try one round. And then I was like, look, you know, I, I'm freaking 40. Let's get a grip on this. <laughs> um, so we moved. And the really interesting thing that happened and I, I find this fascinating as I've always believed in fate, fate leads your life. And um, before we had moved, I had been looking at the country of Kazakhstan for children. And the reason being is my husband is part Chinese and Portuguese, and he came from Canada. He's now an American citizen, but he was part Chinese and Portuguese. So he looks part Chinese and Portuguese. And the children from Kazakhstan are Eurasian. So they are, you know, along the Silk Trail, they're Eurasian looking. So they're not really Chinese. They're not really Mongolian. They're kind of Eurasian. They have a little bit of everything going on there. And I had been very interested in the culture and I, I got interested and got on some adoption boards and looked at it and, you know, reviewed it, reviewed it. And this is before we got married. And this is before we got transferred to Atlanta. And next thing you know, you know, 9-11 hits, they're sending everybody off to Afghanistan. My husband's like, they cut his funding for what he was doing in the newsroom. And he gets offered this job by his old boss that used to be at NBC over in Power Systems. And it's in Atlanta. So he goes, goes down there. They offered him the job right away. And he comes back and he goes, guess what? We're moving to Atlanta. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so I took my business down there, which was in book consulting. But one of the biggest agencies for Kazakhstan was in Atlanta, about 30 minutes from where we were moving to. So at the time, there was a company called World Partners Adoption, and they dealt specifically in Kazakhstan. Now, what's the likelihood? Because I'm one of these people that I have to research everything. And I wasn't going to go and work with any agency that I didn't know I wanted to, you know, because I'm like that. And sure enough, there we go to Atlanta and 20 minutes away is this agency that's rated one of the top notch ones in all of, you know, in all for Kazakhstan. And sure enough, that's who we ended up signing with. So, um, you know, I always say to people, I ended up in Atlanta to adopt my kids, you know, that, that, that was my fate. That was where I was supposed to be. And we ended up, uh, the, at the time the country did allow you to adopt two children that were not biologically related. So our children are three months apart of different parents. And, um, you know, what else can I say? It was, it was a journey, 
like all it was a paperwork journey like I tell people this is not like normal like you're not getting pregnant you're not you know there's no signs of anything it's just a lot of gray hairs that get formed trying to do all the paperwork and and doing all of that and of course right before we had to we were going to go to Kazakhstan we get notification from our agency that um the Kazakhs decided in their infinite wisdom that if you were from two different countries, and remember at this point, my husband's still a Canadian citizen and I'm an American citizen, um, that they need certain documentation um, from both countries. And the reason being is that if I drop dead here in the United States, that they had to prove that my husband could bring those children to Canada to become Canadian citizens. Well, which was ridiculous. I mean, the whole thing was just, but it was another, you know, they were very good. These former Soviet Union adoptions were very difficult to begin with. So they were always trying to throw, you know, nonsense in the way. And um, we ended up, because I'm tenacious as all get-go, as you already probably figured out. <laughs> I see that. Um, I contacted the embassy in Kazakhstan and spoke to the Americans at all hours of the day and night going, what the heck did these Kazakh people need? And then they're going back to the Kazakh consulate going like, what the heck do you need? And nobody <laughs> could figure it out. So then I called the Canadian consulate and said, do you guys understand what they need? And by hook or by crook, I don't know who the heck I got on the phone, but there was this lovely man that said, oh, I think I know who we need to speak to the special envoy who deals with foreign affairs. I'm like, okay, that's great. And they did, they found this magical letter that they were looking for out of the Canadians to say that, yes, my husband would be able to bring the children in. Should I die? Blah, blah, blah. So we got the letter from the Kazakh government. And so I got it. And then I'm told I have to send it to the, um, the, the envoy over at the Kazakh embassy in Washington, DC, because they're going to give the letter to the prime minister of Kazakhstan so that he could bring it back to Kazakhstan. So we had this idea that we were getting two children at a certain age. So we knew that. Um, and then, you know, we, we got some information and then that was it. And then we ended up going overseas. Um, you know, the one thing that I know that when I had sent on information to you is that we do have one of our children uh, from Kazakhstan that did end up with some uh, traumatic attachment disorder, which you find a lot of that in children that are um, in orphanages or are in um, the social service, the foster care system where they haven't properly um, they have been bonded to anyone properly. So, so sad. Yeah, it is really sad. And we we have worked, I mean, our, our son has it, but he's gotten much, much better. We're very, very fortunate. Um, we have had friends of ours that have had to put their children in institutions um, because they can be that violent. I mean, it's really kind of terrible, um, but there's a lot of like simple things like, you know, just like, fibbing, lying, stealing, all this kind of stuff that comes um, from an unbonded child. And there are not a lot of people that know how to work with them. Um, there are certain therapists, but it's it's difficult. It's a, it's a road. Let's put it that way. It is truly a road. 
I'm sure. Yeah. Wait, so could you first, could we backtrack for a minute? Because I know a lot of people um, would love to hear about the adoption process. So could you just kind of like sum it up? Like what did you have to do in the order of like how you did it kind of thing? Okay. The, the process is very different for every country and very different for the states. So I can give you a process that happened 18 years ago processes change, especially in international adoption. It is, when I say it's it's the road less traveled, it is truly the road less traveled. And you have to have a very strong constitution to do it. Um, and I mean that sincerely because there is a tremendous amount of paperwork. I mean, normally if you're going to go and adopt, you're going to do your research. You can't just go out there and say, "Ooh, I'm going to adopt. It doesn't work that way. You need to go and you need to look at um, the age brackets that are available in different countries. Let's say you're going to do international adoption. You really need to look at the age brackets that you're going to be adopting in. Um, if there are children that are, that are being able to be adopted young, which is very difficult at this time, a lot of the children that are coming out of international adoption are usually toddler age and or special needs or older. They also call that special needs. Um, you do need to get a good agency within the United States to be able to do your home study. Home studies are really important. You need them with, so you could have somebody to do your home study in whatever state that you're in and be working with another agency with regard to the actual adoption of the child because they deal in Ethiopia or Haiti or China or wherever you're adopting from. But you do need to have a, a everybody needs to have some sort of a home study done. And that's when they come in, you're dealing with a social worker, the social worker's looking over the home, the relationship between the husband and wife or the husband and husband or whoever it is. Um, so they're looking over all of that. Um, and then that document is sent over, but every single country is very different and every adoption agency is different. So, you know, Kazakhstan was very different from our China adoption. We did both of them. Um, and Kazakhstan at the time was, I mean, I call it the two for one deal because we went over once at the time, you only had to travel over there for three weeks um, and adopt the children. You had to stay in the orphanage for two weeks bonding with them. And then another week to be able to get all their, their portfolio pictures, you know, their passports and everything and, and get out of the country. After we left, um, you had to do two trips. So now it was a completely different thing. You went, you met the children, you sat, you played with them for two weeks, then you left the country. Then they would call you back for the whatever, you know, so it, that, it did change over time. Um, with us, we also had a three-year period that you had to correspond to the agency to let them know how the child was doing. You had to do post-placements for three years. So we had, uh, you know, the agency again that we used would come in, you know, the home study agency would come in and do post-placements and then they would be sent over to Kazakhstan, to Kazakhstan from your agency that you adopted from. After we were done with the process, then they demanded that parents would do 18 years of paperwork every year. So that meant you had to call in a home study. Well, I didn't mean that you had to call a home study agency. They said you could write something out, but that got really complicated for a lot of families because they wouldn't keep up with it. And then Kazakhstan said that because people didn't come up with it, they weren't going to let the children get adopted. It, you know, it's just, 
again, like international adoption can get really muddy. Um, I found that for us, at least the China process was very efficient. They know how to do it. Um, I mean, our, our adoption did go very smoothly with Kazakhstan at the time, but it was because we had an agency and an attorney that worked with the agency in country that were phenomenally good at what they did. Not everybody was so lucky. So that's why it's really important to look into the agency that you're working with and to know that they do really good work. I mean, you know, Holt International is very well known. You have to, you're better off going with a better known agency than not. Um, and the reason being, they've just been doing it for years and years and years and years. They've been in countries like China or Taiwan or whatever for 30 years. They, they know they know the process. Um, you know, going in with an agency that's not well known is it, to me, I would never do. Like that's just not, I, I would never, never suggest it. Um, we were lucky with our, with our second adoption uh, because we had already been through the process with our first two. Uh, we did go through a lesser known agency, but it was because I found my daughter on a special needs board on a Saturday night and we committed to her on a Sunday morning. But that's only because that's the way we operate in my house. And it turned out it was through a special needs adoption agency who turned out to be phenomenal, but they weren't one that were hand holding. And if you've never adopted before, you do need somebody to hold your hand. So they do have coordinators in most of these agencies that work through the adoption process with you. Um, you know, they have several clients, they work with everybody. You can call them, you can email them, they stay on top of it. They'll work with you through your paperwork. You're not normally left alone. With this other agency, it was a, it was a husband wife team. Um, they were more like they would say, okay, you have to do this, but they weren't as handholding as my first agency, but we knew that we knew what the process entailed, just a different country. So it's a matter of keeping your paperwork organized and being able to, to, to do your paperwork, you know, right. to keep on top of it. And if you keep on top of your paperwork, your, the, the process goes very smoothly, especially it used to for China because China just had their act together. They just knew how to make the process work. Um, there, was a, there was a time when they, they faltered a bit, but, you know, but, but most of the part now is that a lot of the children from China are special needs. So it's, it's not the same as years ago when, you know, cause they, they went from having a one child policy uh, when people could only uh, only have one child in the family to now they opened it up to more children. So people, you know, if they had a girl as a second child, that child would end up under a tree with a note, you know, or by by the by the agency doorway is where um, they would find them. So wow, wow. So how does this work? Like, what do you have any idea of? Is it like you just say, okay, I want, I want a child, like find me a child, or do you say like, no, it, no, it doesn't work that way. I mean, like I said, every adoption is very different. So if you walk into an agency or you contact an agency and say, look, I'm really interested in, you know, you, you read, let's say you read on, I'm going to use Holt International because they are a big agency. So if you go onto Holt's international site, they have Haiti, they have Thailand, they have, and you read the criteria and they'll tell you this, you know, we, we are able to have a children adopted out of this country from the ages of two and up. 
you know, we have a special needs program, you know, whatever. So then you have to make the decision, what are you comfortable with in terms of adopting a child? Because in most foreign countries, you're not going to end up in the situation that we did 18 years ago when we adopted a six-month-old and a nine-month-old. Um, that was very young. I mean, they don't, it's very hard to get out of foreign countries that young a child. So you are already coming with a child that's been institutionalized. So think of that in the back of your head. Um, it's different than a domestic adoption. Now you can do a domestic adoption through attorneys and through, I mean, I bet you Holt also does domestic adoption as well. Sometimes they'll do it direct from birth mother or they'll do it through foster care where a, a birth mother gives up a child. But in those in situations, a lot of them are children that are coming out of situations where they could have been drug addicted at birth or, you know, whatever. So you have to really kind of really get into the space of where do you feel most comfortable? Um, I sent a couple that was a, a bride of mine and her husband and I, we sat down with them. Uh, they just actually got their children last year and they went through three years of waiting through a domestic adoption agency. And that one was out of Texas. It's called Gladney. Now Gladney does accept for domestic adoptions and usually it's infant adoptions, but it's very structured, you know, like you will put in your information, you'll get your home studies done, you'll get everything, and then you'll sit and wait at least a good year. You won't be called on. Everything comes, it, you just might as well just go and go camping and do everything you want that year because nothing's going to happen. They're not even going to open your portfolio until they get the other parents done. Um, the problem, and I, I don't want to say the problem with my couple, uh, was that the husband is of Middle Eastern descent. And we feel that one of the reasons why they weren't picked immediately is that because he was of Middle Eastern descent, which is very sad. But again, you're dealing in, you know, an area of Texas that, you know, it could have been that people looked at the, the portfolio and felt, no, this is not for me. And it turned out that they did adopt, uh, very interestingly enough, one of the children were already uh, 10 months old when they adopted her. And then the birth mother was pregnant with a second sister that was going to be born in February. And so it was funny because she came to me and said, what do you think? I said, what do I think? I said, you grab those babies. <laughs> what do you think? You're being offered those babies. And it turned out that the mother was part had part Middle Eastern in her as well. Oh. So I think that's why they were open. And these are two research scientists, the husband and the wife, and she's American, and the husband is Middle Eastern, but he was born here. I mean, he, he moved here to the, in the States, but lovely, lovely couple. I mean, they live in a beautiful home and both research scientists, one of them's up at Yale, you know what I'm saying? And meanwhile, there was absolutely no reason not to have these two adopt. I was like, I mean, the poor thing was crying over my shoulder. I'd meet with her all the time. She lived right down the block from me. You know, we're, we'd go to go to bar class together. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And you know, I really broke my heart because they were like the perfect couple. Like there was no reason why they could not have these children. Right. Why wasn't anybody seeing them for what they are? I, I, and that's what I'm saying. It's really hard with this domestic adoptions because you're being put in front of a couple and they could say no mm. because you have a cat. 
that and they're allergic to cats. I mean, just some of the craziest things. And I think for us, when we adopted, because my husband was part Asian, it was like an automatic. I didn't even think of domestic adoption. I went straight to international. I, I didn't even think about it. I said, children are children. They're beautiful. I don't care. It doesn't make a difference. I mean, I used to say to my daughter, my little one from China, I said, look, I'm Chinese. Um, I, I don't see any difference between you and me. <laughs> She would laugh and she'd go, you don't have black hair. I'm like, I know, I know. And it's okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, love is love, you know, children are children. I don't care if they're not biologically mine, you know, it, I mean, but then again, I'm like that. Um, but I, I'll remember deeply, deeply when she contacted me and said, well, you know, we've got this one child that she's 10 months old and the mother's got the high, she's high functioning autistic. And that was the, the thing too. And the couple broke up and should we accept them? I'm like, you are out of your mind if you don't say yes to this couple. Because if they're saying yes and they're thrilled, they have the most beautiful two little girls. They had one obviously as soon as she was born, but the other one was already 10 months. And that was their concern. Their concern was adopting one that was a little bit older, you know, from, from if they went overseas. I'm like, at the end of the day, see, you still ended up with one older. You can't, you can't judge what you're going to end up with in life right life is life even even the kids that come out of your own birth canal you don't know what's going to be no it's the truth it's true it's true um wow i hope i helped i mean it's really it's because every journey is different every single journey is different our journey was one of two professionals who had a home, who had, who were financially stable, who, you know, who had the ability to do this. We're very fortunate. I mean, it's not inexpensive to adopt. It's not, I'm not going to tell anybody that it is. So you have to be prepared emotionally. You have to be prepared financially. And you also have to be prepared that if you take on that child, that child is yours, no matter what. And I've, believe me, we've had, you know, I, I can't say that it's been easy you know, sometimes emotionally with your kids, because, you know, remember, organically speaking, nobody in my family is related to one another, you know, so uh, we were all dealing with, you know, different personalities from different people. Um, you know, two of my children, I was able to locate their birth parent, I my children know about their birth parent, they've, they've chose not to find them, but me, nosy me had to go find them. I'm still trying to figure out my daughter's birth parent from China, but I feel, you know, having been somebody who lost her parents young, like I, I'm in a different situation. I could sit down with my kids and I could say, you know, kind of like, I know how you feel. I mean, yes, I knew my mom and dad, but you know, they never grew up with me. Like I, my mom died when I was five and I wished, what if there's always been that, what if, you know, but you have to kind of look at life and say, I'm happy with, with what, I have. I'm, I'm grateful. Right. It's so interesting that you're the one who wants to find their birth parents and they're just like, fine. Not they don't care. They really don't. My, my daughter wanted to see her birth parent, but what she was very upset about, because when we did, we did a search, we had, a, there was a woman and a guy that searched in Kazakhstan. I found my son's mom on, on the internet, believe it or not. She came right up. I had her information. I couldn't find Bella's uh, birth parent. Uh, we went through a search agency. They found her. But the interesting part was my daughter had asked the question, when did her grandmother know that she had been born? Because her birth mother gave her up for adoption when she was in college, when she was in school. 
And she found out that her birth mother never told her mother until Bella was probably about 12 years old. Oh my God. And when she heard that, she says, I want nothing to do with her. She said, because if she could keep that as a secret for that long and never, never tell her family and that my grandmother never knew that I existed, that to me is just, then she's irresponsible. And so, I mean, that, and that's my daughter. My daughter has that, you know, she, you know, she's very, she's very self-sufficient. She, you know, she knows what her birth mother looks like. She knows, you know, we know as much as we know, um, but, you know, she, she's very, uh, I mean, she's a college student now going to become a physician's assistant. So, you know, she's, you know, I look at it this way. It's really about what you give to your children. It doesn't make a difference about, you know, birth or heritage. It really comes down to, with me as a parent, consistency, love, and understanding. That's really what it's all about. I love my kids as though I gave birth to them. I would, I would throw my body in front of a, of a Mack truck for them. I love them that much. I really do. And they, yeah. I love my children. I love, I love everything about them, even though they drive me crazy. They're teenagers <laughs> now. I'm a 60 year old. I'm an AARP mom. That's what I tell everybody. I tell my <laughs> pride. I'm enjoying your wedding because I'm going to be waiting for them. I said, I started so late. All my high school and college friends are bringing their kids in to get married. And I'm like, yeah, well, that's not going to happen for me for a while. So I enjoy all my brides because their moms are my age. We, we all hang out together. Wow. I love that. So you adopted. So let's talk about it a little bit because you were just saying that you love your kids as if you gave birth to them and you love um, that you do anything for them and you would never give them up. Of course, you know, and that's amazing and special, of course. Um, but you knew that you were adopting children with special needs, right? My, not my first group. No. Ethan has emotional special needs. That's trauma from being in an orphanage. And that is really, and so many people don't understand it. I mean, look it up when you get a chance. It's called reactive attachment disorder. Um, there are, if there's anybody who listens to your podcast that knows of somebody who's adopted and the adopted child is got traumatic disorders or has issues, I highly, highly recommend them to go to attachmentandtraumanetwork.org. I highly, I, I support them. I love them. Um, uh, you know, that group, Julie Bean and her group have been educating edu educators and other people. They have a very wide range of information on their website of specific therapists that work with these children, um, both in neurofeedback and other types of therapeutics. Um, in, in terms of just working with these children through their trauma, highly recommend that. There's also a group that just started out that I have my daughters in, which is called um, radsibs.org, which is for uh, reactive attachment disorder siblings, because there's a lot of trauma that goes on in the household with children like that. They urinate in the, in the, in the rooms, they defecate, they do just wacky, wacky stuff. So, I mean, as a parent, you're trying to figure out where all this is coming from. And it is, you know, it's lack of bonding. It's, it's, it, it's trauma induced. I mean, I have to be very honest with you. My son did something that I thought was one of the most beautiful things the other day. And most parents would be like, oh, that's interesting. But 
you know, he, he has learned how to hug and love and, you know, he is caring that way. There are some that honestly, they try, they, they've tried, they've attempted to kill members of the family. I mean, we've had, we've been in, in situations where we have been in groups with, uh, with parents with reactive attachment disorder. I'll never forget. This was one that a child was adopted here in the, in, in Connecticut and the child was only six years old and every, there was holes in his bedroom walls of where he punched in through the walls. His adoptive mother had bite marks and scratches all the way down her arms. Like I never had to deal with anything like that. My child never would hurt me like that. But there are children that are so traumatized um, that they are so disconnected from the family members that they try to physically attack them. So you have to understand. And I, and I, I even had at one point, I remember coming out of a meeting at the school and one of the speech therapists came up to me. She put her arms around me and she said, Denise, I have two children adopted from Russia. My daughter's okay. My son, I haven't seen since he was 16 years old. He's now 28. He was put given back in custody of the state because he tried to hurt the family. He tried to physically harm the family. So some of these children are so, so hurt emotionally that they they can't be brought back it's very very sad and i think that that's one of the the underlying thing that people don't understand when you look at children in the juvenile um in juvenile you know in in the courts in the systems in in jails people don't understand they don't look back at their background there's something very there's been deficit in their background where They've either been, you know, sexually molested, attacked as a child, lost a parent. There's some unbonding that's gone on early on in their life. And whether it be from an orphanage or whether it be just neglect here in the States, there's a lot of that that goes on that people do not realize and they don't realize how detrimental it is to society. So, and I say that, I mean, having, having known that, I mean, I don't, I don't like to, I mean, my son has come a long, long, long way. I mean, he gave me for my, for my birthday, he went on Etsy. It's just so sweet. It was very sweet. And he sent a picture of one of my most favorite dogs that recently passed away and had the made me a, make me a pillow with his face. But it was again, that's so that's sweet. right. But it was the thought that went into it, the emotional thought that went into that gift that really astounded me because, you know, again, I don't, I don't expect that kind of deep thought and, oh my God, she's really going to care for this, this much, but he's evolved so well as a young man. And I'm so proud of him because now, I mean, it's taken a little bit of time, but over time, over time, he has become he has become more and more loving, more and more caring. And that's what we've worked so hard towards. So I'm really happy for him because he's found, you know, he's working, he's going to school, he's, he's finding himself. It's taken a very long time, but the good thing is, is that he came out the other end and he's, and he's, He's never been to that effect. I will never say my son was ever, ever, ever like that. But there are children with that ailment that are very, that are very disturbed. So, I mean, that's, and not to scare people off from adoption, because again, I have two, you know, two kids that we didn't have, but you have to work. This is a job. This is, 
parenthood. This is, it's, it's sometimes it's ugly. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes it's not going to be all the roses that everybody thinks it is. You, you come into, look, I had, when I adopted the first two, I couldn't believe how hungry they were all the time because they weren't fed properly in the orphanage. And we have, we had food issues. They'd see food and scream and scream when they saw food. And then when you took the dishes away after they finished it, they'd they cry and cry. People couldn't understand. I mean, my kids were so good in restaurants, they couldn't understand why. Because when my kids would see the food, they'd start screaming and, and of joy. This wasn't normal. So sad. It is very sad, but people don't understand that again, you're coming, you have to come and understand the situation of which some of these children are coming from. And you're not going to understand everything. And you have to look to lurk, look for support and look for love and look for, you know, people, it takes a village. And you know, where I have always found my strength is with my Kazakh support group, with my, with my China support group, with my rad parenting group, you have to find the support to help you through these moments to bounce things off and say, oh my God, I've had such a bad day because you want to know what? These parents know. Not everybody understands. Your average school system is not going to understand. They're just not going to. And with my daughter from China, my daughter was adopted with physical special needs. And we were very lucky with her because she was adopted, and but she was in a foster home and you could tell she was loved. She was cared for. We were so fortunate with my daughter. I can't even begin to go there because I saw kids in China that had teeth that were all rotted out of their heads. Terrible, terrible things. Some of these kids coming out of orphanages directly, but our daughter had been, we were very fortunate. She was, had been put in a, in a, in a foster care, but you could tell she was loved. She was well taken care for. She knew, I mean, she was two and a half when we adopted her. She knew how to brush her teeth. She had stranger awareness. Like she was, she believe me, she didn't come to me for, you know, but she finally realized, you know, but, but that was good. It's good when they're stranger wary. My daughter in Kazakhstan was stranger wary. She was afraid of us, but that was good. My son would come and hug everybody. That's not good. That's an unbonded child. So you you have to understand the nuances. But my daughter in, in China was extremely well taken care of, believe me, to the point that when I took her back when she was in, she was 11 years old, and I took her back with a group that actually came all out of the same orphanage. So I belonged to a separate group of all these moms, and they had girls at different ages, but they all came out of the same orphanage, and we all traveled to China together. And they went to Beijing and, you know, we did the whole Beijing thing and we found her original adoption picture. And then we went to her, her town. We even saw the, the, the original orphanage that she was in. And now the new orphanage, all they had was special needs kids, which was very sad, which was very difficult because you knew these kids were never going to get adopted out of there, most of them. Um, but it was eye-opening for her. And it was very eye-opening for me because they brought her to the Hilton. I never even saw her orphanage. They brought her to the Hilton. They physically gave me a list of this is what she eats. And the nanny left in less than five minutes, leaving a screaming <laughs> two and a half year old to us oh my gosh. With, with, with an interpreter. We had an interpreter there. So very different from Kazakhstan. Very, very different. No, no, no. Very different. They hand you the kid and that's it. 
In Kazakhstan, it was like two weeks. You had to bond with them. I mean, Kazakhstan did it the right way. China, it's kind of like here. And you know, Kazakhstan, we had to get them to renounce my children's citizenship. In China, six months after the baby's home, your passport is no good. Kazakhstan, 10 years the passport is good for. So see how different countries handle their children. Very different. Very different. That must have been so traumatic for your daughter in China. Oh, it was crazy. Oh, it was crazy. I had to, I had to go. I'm telling you, I had to go and I had to sit. I had to sit against the door in the hotel room. And she's trying to open the door. And my husband, who's the techie, he's sitting at the computer going, oh, this isn't like Kazakhstan. <laughs> Oh my God. So how long did it take until she like held comfortable with you and stopped screaming and just like knew that you were good people taking care of her, you know? You know what it was? It happened over Halloween. You can go on our, on our website at, it's still up, but it's, it's not really great because it's so old, but www.thecorias.com. And you could, you could go and you could look at the pictures from Kazakhstan and also from China and read how we found her and all this other stuff. And it's so funny. She got adopted like the day before, I think, Halloween. And I brought her a little princess costume, okay? The ultimate thing is with, with adopted children, especially internationally adopted children, is food. Food is food, okay? You give them food, and they are happy as a clam, okay? So here we were in these big hotels, okay? And it was so much fun because, you know, as soon as you put food in front of them, they love you, trust me. <laughs> they don't, you're giving them food and you're putting them in pretty dresses. Oh my God, okay? I'm telling you. And, it, but that's the truth. It's really the truth. And I mean, by the end of the trip, we were staying at the time, the time the place was called the White Swan. And the White Swan was the big fancy hotel. And we had a, you know, a GE, we had a suite because of GE. And, and at the Hilton, we used all our points. That's another thing for parents that want to adopt, save your points, save your points. We took, we took business class every set. That's what you do. That's how you save money is by, you know, getting into hotels, using points. I, all our points and we stayed at all the best hotels. I was actually in the hotel in Beijing. We were in the hotel with um, Warren Buffett and who was the other one that was there? Um, oh, Hillary Swank was in the same hotel as we were. We were at the Ritz-Carlton in Beijing. We didn't pay a dime. We used all our points. And we did the same thing for the Hilton. In, I know, I'm but that's how you have to do it. Otherwise, adoption's expensive. You have to save all your points, all your airline points. Um, but you know, when we got her, we were at the Hilton and boy, I'm telling you, she was feasting out. I'm, and the funny thing is she doesn't use chopsticks anymore, but boy, back then it was like, whoa, do, 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 do. she was steamrolling food in her mouth. I never saw anything like it in my life. And, um, oh, but she was, she was really adorable. I mean, she was adorable, but what's, but once she knew, like she became comfortable with us. She was like, Oh God, they're feeding me. Oh God, they're putting me in pretty clothes. Oh, you know, so that was the first initial. And, but the funny thing with her that we learned is that most of the time she never understood what the hell we were talking about. She would nod her head, pretend she understood. And it was the most amazing thing. She fooled us for months and months and months. Like we really believed even when she was home that she knew what we were talking. She had no idea. 
I mean, that was, that was hard. The language thing was really hard. I have to be honest with you, but that's a whole other story. But um, you, you, children from overseas definitely have uh, food issues. Um, you know, they, I mean, when you bring them home, I mean, I'll never forget, I brought her home and, you know, her sister had nice, beautiful, long hair at that point. Well, of course, because of lice, they shave the children down. So here I've got this little two and a half with no hair and she's going to her new adopted sister going, oh, like, when am I going to get my hair? Like she touched the bottom of her hair and then she touched her head and she had like little stubbles. And I said, don't worry, honey, it's coming. Your hair's going to come. You know, because it's it's all new. Everything was new. She came home. She'd never seen a dog before in her life. She screamed for a month. I had to keep our dogs away from her. Oh, you have no idea. It's it's it's. I'm telling you, it's a it's a whole new world. So anyone, you know, they have to prepare themselves. This is you. You really have to like read up, ask questions you know, motivate yourself to learn because even a child out of U.S. foster care, you know, they could have been in a situation where they were food deprived. They mm. could have been neglected. They could have been left with their siblings in, 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 a, in, a, in a house with no food for, you know, a week or two. And then somebody found, you have no idea the stories. You have no idea the stories. Okay. It's just terrible. It's terrible. It is, and I'm telling you, I have, I have spoken in front of adoption groups. And like I said, I call a spade a spade. And I think I don't want to frighten people from adoption. I certainly don't want to do that because there's so many children in this world that need loving homes. It's just, you got to take a big, deep breath and you got to say, okay, whatever's going to come of this is going to come of this. And this is what I'm going to do. And I, I mean, I even have a very good friend of mine that used to be a buyer for, um, for David's bridal. She moved back home. She was in, in, in Pennsylvania in David's. And then she moved back home, back to Oregon, became a teacher, decided to go into teaching. And she always wanted to adopt. She adopted two little African-American boys. And one of them does have attachment disorder. And one of them ended up having near terminal cancer. I mean, the poor kid ended up with cancer. Now, meanwhile, she's a new mother with two little boys that she adopted through foster care. Did she ever in her wildest dreams? Now, thank God, like I said, it takes a village. She has her sister, her mom, her dad. She has all these people surrounding her. But she is a single mom that adopted two beautiful little boys. Out of, but, you know, she knew because I told her, I said, go in with your eyes wide open. Go in with it. Go in with your eyes wide open because it's going to be a ride. It's going to be a lovely ride, but it's going to be a ride. And all you've got to do is give that love, put it out there, learn, learn, and find the resources to help you. Because if you don't do that, if you don't, it, then you're, you're the only one at fault. There are resources out there to help you. There are people that are willing to put their hand out and say, I know where you're coming from. I'll help you. I'll talk to you, whatever you need. But you have to be willing to do the work. That makes total sense. And is there something, like any treatment that could help with this mild reactive attachment disorder? I, would, I really highly, highly recommend going to the Attachment and Trauma Network because they have on that board doctors they have a list in states of all the locations 
And I'm telling you, you can even ask them to come into your school district. Um, another, another one that I, and again, because a lot of these kids also come with things like ADHD. They come with like, my daughter had, what is it? Strombosis that where the eyes get crossed. We had to do patching on her eyes. That's my one, my one from Kazakhstan. We didn't know, you know, we, we noticed that her eyes were starting to go like this, but that was not considered a special need. My daughter from China originally was turned down by another family. That's a whole other story, but they were turned, she was turned down by another family because they had already adopted a girl from China. Their first girl brought her home and then found out that she had specific special needs. So when they were going to adopt my daughter, she was fine. And then all of a sudden they contacted her right before they were gonna travel and said, something's wrong with her leg. And then they dropped her, they decided not to adopt her. So then she went back into the system and then like eight months later, she came up on a special needs board and I found her. And that's and, and they said that she had a leg length difference, uh, no knee reflux, that she was, you know, verbal, that she was, you know, that she was walking, that she was able to go to the toilet, but they didn't know exactly what it was from. And that's when I turned around to my husband. I said, she's beautiful. She's adorable. There doesn't seem to be anything wrong with her outside of her leg. And we certainly have more than enough resources and more than enough love to give this child. So, and it turned out, which is very interesting when you read the website. Um, my brother from New York happened to be at the house that night and I was upstairs and we were originally looking at adopting a Taiwan and the Taiwan adoption coordinator called me and said, you know, I haven't gotten any of your information back. I wanted to know what was going on. And I said, you know, something's leading me to believe that I really shouldn't be adopting a really young one. Something leads me to believe that I should be adopting someone with special needs. I don't know why. I don't know why I haven't finished up the paperwork. I don't know why, but there's something that's not right. And she says, okay, I'm going to let you be whenever you want to go through with it. Let us know. She says, okay, fine. And we had been planning on Taiwan. Taiwan was only a week in the country. We didn't have to upheaval the kids. We would just have somebody come in and babysit. I don't know, something wasn't for me. So I got an email from one of my girlfriends and said, hey, look at the special needs board. There's a special needs board I want you to look at. And I did, and there she was. And I said to my, my adoption agency, I'm not going to China, it's too long. The trip is too long, I don't want to deal. I want to be in and out, told them no China. And don't you know, that's where Erin was, was in China. So I'm reading about her information and her information and I come to her birth date and her birth date is the same date as my brother who was downstairs watching a movie with my husband. And that's when I said, this is my daughter. I said, that's it, it's kismet, this is meant to be. I wrote to them, I said, I wanna know more about this child. And the following day they emailed me, it's a, it's a husband wife team. They emailed me right away. And now everybody's up in the kitchen having breakfast. My other two were about five years old at the time, you know, four and a half. My brother's up there. My husband's up there. I said, so Carrie, what do you think of this little one? And he goes, oh, she's really cute. Like as my husband would always say, she's really cute. I'm like, yeah, well, the agency just got back to me and they want to know, you know, how do we know that you guys are, you know, are adoptable parents? And I said, well, let's see. We have two children from Kazakhstan. My husband's an executive at GE. I own my own business. We own a house. We have this. This is basically what we make. And our BMI levels, which because they wanted to know how heavy you are, 
are with yeah they did because they 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 were having a really hard time with very heavy set americans going over there and they were afraid they were going to all have heart attacks on the kids so yeah the chinese are, were very interested about bmi levels and then i said to her and my husband is part chinese and part portuguese and she said oh my god this is your child we're holding her for you start doing your your acceptance letter so then i called my my uh my home study agent the following day who was a you know a, a msw who was a social worker and said to her guess what we're going to china go fix go fix my my home study and she says what i said this is my baby I sent her a picture I said this is my little girl we're going for her. that's it and she's like you are such a nut i'm like it's meant to be she's meant to be my daughter this is my daughter and that was it and 10 months later we were in china wow but you know, but I'm telling you, but again, I had already done this. I had done this rodeo before. So I, I, you know, I'm a believer in fate and I believe that everything is meant to happen for a reason. I've always believed that I've always lived my life that way. And this was meant to be my daughter. And that's, I mean, that's really all I could say about it. Um, but you know, there's, there's so many organizations that are willing to help people. You just have to really understand that yes, if you want to adopt, there's a process. And like I tell everybody, you have to go and you have to figure out where do you want to adopt from? How old a child do you want to adopt? Um, are you willing to accept special needs? If so, what kind of special needs are you willing to accept? I mean, we, we my husband and I fell in love a number of years ago with a little girl from China, but she had such a bad heart condition that the doctor said to us that she would die probably by the age of 18, even if we brought her into the country because her, literally her heart valves were like all over the place. And my husband was heartbroken, but the doctor was begging us not to adopt this child. So we didn't. I mean, we, we looked at it and we realized like we could not emotionally handle that level of a situation because it wasn't very significant. With Aaron, we knew that it was a leg issue. We brought her here. We went initially to Boston Children's. Uh, I drove quite a significant way because they had a neurology department that was affiliated with their, um, you know, with their, uh, what do you call, with their, um, oh God, the, the orthopedic. So we looked at neurology and orthopedic and whether it was a polio, it wasn't polio. They tested her several times. They, they never really did. At the end of the day, everybody thought she was inoculated incorrectly in a nerve. So they never could tell me what exactly had happened. She wears a lift. She's had two surgeries. They fixed her foot so it wasn't flopping over. I mean, we've been through stuff. And, you know, still as a teenager, she goes through things like, gee, I, I really wish I could wear a high heel. You know, she's 15 now, so she's got a little lift, She, you know. But the thing is, is that we've already had two surgeries. The last surgery was not as successful as we had hoped. Um, if we did do another surgery, we'd have to lengthen her leg, which is very painful. And they would have to like every day, you'd have to twist it and there's mm. yeah, exactly. So that's why I say to her, you know what, honey, for the for the half an inch, honestly, put a lift. It, it, I just can't see her going through that level of pain. If she does choose to do that, we will support her. But I think you know we've already had, like I said, several surgeries. So 
it's tough. You have to, you have to weigh the decisions out, you know? I mean, the first surgery was brilliant. And then unfortunately my surgeon ended up retiring. So we had to go to Yale and those doctors have moved on. So it's, it's, you know, there's always going to be that level of, can we do more? Does it make sense? What weighs the good and the bad? So, you know, that's with any child when you're, you're bringing them up, but, um, Right. It's true. It's it's like, it's like you mentioned, really, it doesn't necessarily, just because you're adopting doesn't mean that it's going to be any more than any more work or any more of a struggle than having a child naturally, because you get the same thing when you just when you give birth to a child. Oh, absolutely. And you know, that's the one thing and just between you and me, I mean, the thing is this that you have to understand, this is the one thing that I've learned. Like there was a time when we thought my son was suffering from dyslexia because he was having a problem what they called decoding in school. So he was having problems reading and decoding words. So of course, me being the insane mother that I am, I ran up to Yale and put both of my kids in a reading study for dyslexia. So here they went up and they would go to Yale and they do, they do all this testing on them only to find out that my son was just a slow learner and reading and then finally got it. But that experience made me realize that another mother's son was suffering from dyslexia. He used to run around the classroom screaming, I can't read, I can't read. And he was in first grade. And I said to my husband, I said, there's something with that kid. It's either ADHD or something. Now we've already, because again, being an adoptive parent, you're so honed in on what the issues can be that you see that a lot of natural parents don't even realize it. Like they're like, oh, this is my child. So they, they have to be perfect. And the truth of the matter is, like I said to one of the doctors, because I said to him, what is with these parents that don't realize that their kid is autistic? Like we can see it. Like I can see it. I can see that they've got problems. They go, they don't want to admit it because they feel like it's some sort of a, a red badge on them. But the truth be told the best thing that you can ever do for your children is advocate for them. Find out what is going on. And I went and I had coffee with this one mom. And I said to her, you know, this is our neurologist. I gave her a whole list. And my husband was like, you should have never talked to her. She could have probably sued you. Blah, blah, blah. blah. Forget it. Went out. I had a nice cup of coffee with her. I said, here, here's our neurologist. I said, I want you to take your son to a neurologist. He also could, he could really have, you know, he could have dyslexia. I said, they may not be catching it now, but he keeps screaming in the classroom that he cannot read. If he cannot read or if he's struggling with reading, it could be that he has dyslexia. This is a physical ailment. This is a problem that can be fixed. There are ways of teaching kids with dyslexia. And she's like, oh, my husband thinks it's nothing. I said, I'm telling you, it's not nothing. I don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it. I have an adoptive child that I have gone and I have looked at and I've seen, gone to neurologists, I've gone to therapeutics. We've dealt with a lot of different issues with Ethan coming out of an orphanage. Your son is your own bio child. You have to get off the stick of like, oh, he's just an active child who runs around the classroom. That's not it. He's telling you that there is something wrong. Six months later, I'm on a field, a soccer field. My son's on it. My daughter's on it. My son's on it. All of a sudden, this mother comes running towards me. I haven't seen her in six months. She throws her arms around me and her husband comes up to shake my hand. And I'm like, hi, what's going on? She goes, he's dyslexic. She says, he's horribly dyslexic and we didn't know. I said, it's okay. 
Now you know. That's the most important thing. That's how you are going to help your son achieve what he needs to achieve in school. It's going to make a huge difference for him. And these are the things that bio parents have to realize because you know what? You don't know until you do the research. And don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to go out and ask the questions. So and, important. And it's so important. Highly important because a lot of bio parents really don't, they, they have the syndrome of, and I've talked to doctors about this. I'm like, why do they not? And he says, because they really think it's a reflection on them. It's no reflection on you. And that's the way I said with my children, I've said this to doctors, I said, I love them. I raise them. They're not biologically mine. But I don't know, even if they were, I would want to find out what's wrong. Like, what's why is it that they're not learning to the potential that they should be learning? Or why is it that they're they're suffering from anxiety? Or why is it that, why? There's a reason. There's a reason for this happening. And so find out, talk to people. That's how you learn. Yeah. Everybody's so afraid of learning. Like, oh my God, it's so terrible. It's not so terrible. It really isn't. Yeah, that's that's great. That's so special that you were able to get. You were the one who encouraged his parents to get him the help he needs, and now I'm sure yeah. he's thriving. So that's good. And for now you. he's doing really well. No, I'm telling you, it's and I've had friends of mine. The reason why I knew that too is that a friend of ours had a very dyslexic son, and she went and she fought the school system. Let me tell you, the school systems are not easy with this, but she fought the school systems and she got the help. She actually took her son down to a special school because it was less expensive. They spent an entire summer in Florida with her son who was dyslexic to give him the learning that he needed, the, the expertise that he needed to be able to do well. He finished high school finished an arts college and is now a thriving artist. He's very talented. I mean, ridiculously talented, but he, he, he focused all of his energy into the arts, into craft making. He makes all sorts of beautiful furniture and staircases, and he's just ridiculously talented, but he finished college with an arts degree. So, I mean, it can be fun. For sure. Wow. Okay. So just to finish up, um, (laughs) I think that you pretty much gave, you you might've answered this question already, but let's just, just make sure. Do you have any other advice for parents who are interested in adopting or who are already adoptive parents? If you are an adoptive parent and you, you need any type of help, um, or have anything to do in terms of behavioral problems or things like that, I would definitely reach out to, again, attachmenttraumanetwork.org. I would look into the country that you've already adopted from, and I'm sure there's a Facebook page or Instagram or different types of you know chat groups um, to help you out with that. Those are really important things to do. Also, again, try to look for, you know, therapeutic manners, um, neuro bio, uh, neurofeedback works really well on these kids. Um, there's a whole, a whole host of, you know, you, all you have to do is kind of Google this at this point, but don't be afraid to ask other adoptive parents and other professionals for help because, you know, it does take a village, especially with children that you take on. For those who want to adopt, do not be afraid to adopt. Don't all of a sudden say, oh my God, you know, Denise said all this stuff. The truth of the matter is, is that the child that is meant to be yours will be yours. And I say this from somebody with 
two children with special needs from different sides. I've got my other daughter that she suffers from a little bit of anxiety and stuff. But you know what? You make it through. You make it work. You just need to do your research. I cannot stress that enough. That's the okay. most that's the most important takeaway is to know what you're willing to accept in your life with an adoptive child. Okay. Yeah. Makes total sense. And then (laughs) for our last question, this is something that I ask everybody at the end. What is something that you hope the next generation of women won't have to struggle with? How about not have to struggle with infertility and with endometriosis. To be honest with you, I think a lot of it is there's there's so much that we could go on and on about this, but I believe so much of it is uh, GMO related. Um, that there's a lot in our in our in just our atmosphere and the way we treat our planet that does and and the the, the impurities that we take into our bodies that does cause a lot of the the stress um, on the female, you know, reproductive system. So I would really like to see that the poor girls don't have the problems that they do, really. Totally got that. Yes. Yes, me too. Okay. And where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? Oh, dear God. Okay. So they can find more about me at uh, my two companies, www.thepersnickety, and that's P-E-R-S-N- I-C-K-E-T-Y, bride.com. My other company is www.persnicketypromotions.com. And if they want to read about our adoption journey, you need to go on to the Karayas, and that's C-O-R-R-E-I-A-S.com. It's an old website, but it's a goodie website, and it's a lot of fun to read. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story, Denise. This was so much fun. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. That's all for tonight. Thanks so much for listening. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Carmela Cosmetics. That's Carmela with a K. And on our website, CarmelaCosmetics.com. If there's a woman in your life whose story needs to be heard, send me a message to let me know who she is and why she means so much to you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know your thoughts. We want you to feel heard. 